Dog Safety Podcast with Vance and Bart. All right, so What's up? for those of you who missed it two weeks ago, yeah, it's been a while, man. This is my fault. It's normally Bart's fault. I'm just going to put that out there, but it, this last one was, well, actually, no, it was Bart's fault at first, and then it was right. my fault. It started being my fault. Yeah, it was Bart's fault, and then it was my fault. So I'm going to take some of the heat off of Bart, by the way. Well, you can still hate on him all you want. Yes. Um, I moved from one house to another, and I was not able to get my stuff together fast enough to uh, to podcast last week. So we are... Working on this part two, and hopefully we can try to make up, maybe do a two next week or something to make it up to you guys. Uh, because I know it's annoying when you're expecting a podcast and you don't get one. Yeah, it's it's funny seeing all the chats and things come through. Yes, there are a handful of folks in the chat who were asking where we were last week. Uh, and then there's one guy who sent us a note who said, I hope you're canceled, which I think means he doesn't understand how podcasts work, especially independent ones. He thought we were the Kennedy show on Vox. Maybe he thought we were Morning Joe. That is a sad one, though. Which one? Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy? This is the last one that I liked on Fox Business. Who is this? The, the the girl from MTV, the the the, liber- the only libertarian on Fox. Oh, I thought you yeah. meant like a Kennedy. Like no, no, no. Okay. No, the Kennedy Show on Fox Business. It got canceled. I never watched it. No shit. It's pretty good. Don't really do much Fox these last three decades. Yeah, I watched Kennedy because she would always have. Like she would do the panels, but she always had a libertarian. That's where Dave Smith got his break. Was the Kennedy Show? Interesting. Yeah. Little bits of history I had no idea. Yeah. I was expecting to get my break there. Now I'm not going to. Well, that just means you can get your own show there, right? Because they need someone like you. No, they don't. They got rid of Tucker and they got, he was kind of close to a libertarian almost. He claimed to be one at one time. Um, and then Kennedy, who's just always been one. And then her co-host from MTV is also a libertarian. Uh, he, he was actually one of the found, like the first podcasters. Adam Carolla? No. Kevin Smith? I don't know. The dude who was on, uh, I think, Headbangers Ball. Oh, Adam? Sure. Adam Curry? 
Yeah, that sounds right. The guy who's like does the podcast index and like the value for value, that guy. That's him. Got it. Okay. But yeah, he he was the host of Headbangers Ball, which is a big deal, right? So I just remember Jamie Josta from Hatebreed was on there all the time. Hmm. And what'd he do? He was just there. Yeah. Imagine being being him and not being into like metal's new to you, you know? But you've got to play the part. That must have been pretty nerve wracking just knowing you could get canceled anytime by the you know. Well, and that's a more dedicated fan base than a lot of other genres, right? So you would be found out pretty quickly. Yeah, he had to he had to actually listened to it. That's what he talks about that a little bit in some of the stuff I've listened to. Where he was he was like, I wasn't into metal, I wasn't against metal, but like I had to listen to it. And because I had to listen to it, I ended up finding a lot of it that I liked. That I wouldn't have found if I hadn't got the job. And I don't know if that's when Tom Woods started listening to you know, hardcore death metal. But like it was around the same time when, when like the first time that he interviewed him. Because like you get this weird thing from Tom where he's like, because he was all only into like, what's the, that? Uh, what was it called? It's like a a rock that was around in the sixties. It's like very alternative type. I think Yes was probably a band like that. Progressive rock. Yeah, that's all he was into. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing him talk about like. Oh, I'm meeting a lot of people who I would have never looked at them as serious people and stuff like that. And I'm hanging out with these groups and and then come to find out later he's been going to like death metal shows because he's he's gotten into it. There's a lot of overlap there with especially some of the technical metal. Mm-hmm. A lot of overlap with progressive and jazz and classical. Folks who like yeah. a lot more math in their music than I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a punk rocker too. <laughs> so, yeah, our, our music doesn't have to even sound good, really. I think a lot of the music I really like doesn't sound pleasing at all. Like, I, I really like A Million Dead Cops. And they're awful musicians. So like, you're about the message. Yeah, partly. I, I think I think it's just more about the nuts. You know what I mean? Like the like you don't have to have nuts. Like I I like the the New York Dolls. I mean, this is going to come across weird today because it seems like so. You have to like trans, right? But the New York Dolls back in nineteen seventy what eight, they were just like not allowed to do that, and they did it. And it wasn't about making you do it or ex- even accept it. It was just like, I'm going to do it and I hope you don't like it. You know, <laughs> that was cool. That's why I used to go to drag shows because it was cool like that. It was, it used to be underground and celebrated as being underground. I enjoyed that. I don't enjoy, I love underground stuff. So, 
while I like Bad Religion and I like Blink-182, right? Blink-182 is playing very soon in Atlanta. I don't enjoy it going to a big amphitheater and seeing bands like that as much as I do going to a small venue and seeing a punk band that nobody really cares about that much. And the band's kind of good. Like Voodoo Glow Skulls, right? They're good. They're good as shit, right? They're good. I would say they're better than Blink-182. But let's say I thought they were equal, right? I could see Blink-182 in a big venue. Or down the same time, down the road, Voodoo Glow Skulls is playing in a little venue. Shit venue, right? Dirty cockroaches. I'm going to that one. So is that why you're a libertarian? Because the Republicans and the Democrats are too big? Yeah, that's it. Cool. We figured it out. Podcast over. No, I I just don't want to get laid anymore. So I became a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave so, it in, though. yes, we did not have an episode last week. And no... We did not get canceled, um, but oh, that was all about canceled. That's funny. Sidetracked, but we did leave off a couple weeks ago on a bit of a cliffhanger. So, depending on how you listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. if you have one of those that's sorted by new and you haven't heard episode one of this, or, sorry, part one of this, this is going to be a part two Dose. So, of our breakdown of a, a Planet Money episode. So, so kind of a meta episode in that we are breaking down an episode from another podcast, but content is king. No, seriously, it's just something that needs to be addressed. So, again, we're doing a part two here. For those of you who got into part one, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, For those who haven't, I do encourage you to go back and listen to part one. And Part one was good. But we we thought we were going to get through this in one episode, by the way. It became very clear to us that it was not possible. Not because... This woman was giving an intelligent argument. It was more like every word she said we had a argument for. And I think we need to keep doing this because people like this should not, they should not be celebrated. These are ideas that have been disputed for years. Me and me and Bart, Bart and I are not, we, we don't have the, a doctorate or anything. We're not the smartest people around. But we are fascinated by economics. And just out of a hobby, we knew that this was wrong. And we thought we should break it down for other people who may be interested in <clears throat> things like economics. So they don't get fooled by the doctorate in front of this person's name or professor or whatever. And just as a note, I do think it's important to distinguish between 
useful idiots and people who are malicious. And I think there's a bit of a balance as you go up the scale. I think it's graduated malice in that the hosts of this show, uh, Sarah and Greg, I don't think they're malicious. And I think it sort of graduates as you go up, right? So you go to the next level of some of like these professors and folks that they talk to. They might be a bit more malicious, but not so much because they're malicious people, but because they're incentivized to find certain things in their studies because those studies and their entire career is funded by some of these folks. And then as you go up the chain, of course, it gets a bit more intentional. But mm. I do think it is important to make that distinction because going all the way from a host of Planet Money who just doesn't understand economics at scale all the way to, let's say, someone who works at the Fed who absolutely knows what they're doing and is just trying to hand wave all of this away. Mm -hmm. They are different. Well, Effectively, they're the same. Yeah. Effectively, they sound the same, mm -hmm. but they are different. Yes, they are. So anyway, uh, with that caveat, let's just uh, jump right back into it. Okay. When economists started debating what was driving inflation in 2021, there wasn't a lot of data. There were pieces of data, but not like not like the full picture, right? Now we have more data. And an economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City decided to start poking at it. So you're an economist at the Fed? Yes. Kind of fancy. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But it's Kansas City, so it's it's uh, it's a less fancy city. Right. Andrew Glover at the not-quite-fancy Kansas City Fed decided to look at how much costs went up for corporations and how much their profits went up. Because then you can assign how much costs contributed to inflation and how much profits contributed. Remember, this is a useful exercise to remember the formula. Inflation is cost growth plus growth in the markup that you're charging. So Andrew has done a couple of studies that looks at basically every type of good or service sold in the United States. Okay, so if you're coming in and you didn't listen to episode one, go back and listen because we've already disputed this. They are repeating a definition of inflation that is false. It's not even the definition of consumer inflation, which they are trying. That is the type of inflation that they're trying to pretend like this is. So, yeah, you can go. You can go back. We've we've talked a lot about that already. So, just remember, they're going to say that over and over again because it isn't true, and they have to make that. They have to make you believe that for any of this to make any sense at all. In fact, inflation is shorthand for inflation of the money supply. So when we say inflation, that's what that means. So these things that are in fact the effects of inflation are not indeed inflation. It's like you say what we were talking about in the previous episode, there's a bit of this reverse causal fallacy. And again, this is a this is a good example of what I was talking about with 
differentiation. I think Sarah here, who's asking these questions, keeps getting this from a quote unquote expert and assumes that he has no reason to be lying. Sure, he's totally honest about what caused the inflation. <laughs> what was us? <laughs> we did it. <laughs> All right, so let's proceed. You're talking about like socks and shirts and ketchup and Delta Airlines tickets. Exactly. So, you know, McDonald's would be in here. Walmart would be in here. Ford would be in here. Pepsi, yeah. Coca-Cola, yeah. ketchup makers, whatever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Andrew's looking at all of their markups. So uh, the markup is the price that the firm charges its customers above and beyond the costs that it incurs from producing the good that it sells them. Meaning like, it costs me $3 to make these socks, but I'm going to sell them for $4. Sure. So That yes. $1 difference is the markup? Yeah, the, the $1 difference is the markup that, that you're charging. The markup is their profit. And it's not like corporations can just charge whatever they want for socks just to make a ton in profit. Without consumers maybe knowing it, we kind of prevent companies from getting whatever they want in profits. Because if prices get too high, we go to a different, cheaper sock maker, or, or we at least buy fewer socks. I think it's worth giving credit where credit is due here, because she is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's worth acknowledging those market forces, right? We have some control over that. So things can't get in an, out of in control. A, right. In a free market, we have all the control. In a market like we have today, the government has a lot of control over the winners and losers and reduces the amount of competition. So you got to think about it this way too. Like, yes, a big corporation can typically make something cheaper, but they also have to have customer service and all these other things and whatnot because their competition does who has to maybe charge a little bit more. But as different companies and technologies progress, the prices will go down. Maybe the customer service will go up with some of them. And yes, the corporate company might be still the best the big corporation but they're only keeping their customer service well uh, up and good because their competition is and they're only keeping their prices down because their competition is you knock the competition out of the way by arbitrarily deciding who is essential workers and whatnot because that's what she's talking about when they say this bottlenecking shit right is what is what is the bottlenecking they're referring to? They're referring to monopolies forced upon us by the arbitrary I, like rules of who can work and who can't and what companies were going to be allowed to keep their doors open and what weren't and all that. We have to remember COVID, while they say it's over, almost every legitimate corporate prediction has an effect of 30 years plus on the way they're structuring their company. Like, Well, I do think that is a critical piece of the puzzle here. I do think overall that will 
get us sidetracked in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you charge too high of a price, you make more on each each unit you sell, but you can sell so few units that your profits fall. So then corporations are trying to find like the sweet spot. Like what is the perfect price that will allow me to sell as many socks as possible so that I get more profit? Yeah, you can think about like balancing a seesaw. But some economists, like Isabella in particular, say that when there are bottlenecks, the seesaw gets like a little tilted because companies think, okay, my competitor is raising prices because they actually are experiencing supply chain issues. I'm not, but no one will really know that. So I'm just going to raise my prices too. She made a good point. She just didn't know what she was making. We have to remember what supply and demand is. And while she's saying she's saying it wrong, what happened was big corporations who are essential and are embedded in government were definitely allowed to stay open and produce products. Well, if you have a supply of money out there to be spent, right, and it is being spent, and there's not as many products to buy with it, you can raise your prices quite a bit, especially if you're infusing money into situations. So people have more money and less stuff to buy with it. Well, let's raise the prices. They have the money. So that's what happens. So all these small business, while she says corporate profits are going up, what about all the small businesses that are going under are being shut down, forced not to, to work? These are all competitors for those dollars. Even if they're not competing in the same market for the same thing, they're competing for those same dollars, that same productive value that you've brought to the table. And when we, the consumers, hear of bottlenecks, we may tolerate higher prices than normal because we're like, yep, my favorite sock people can't get the cotton they need because of all those supply it's a chain supply issues. supply chain issue, yep. It's not their fault. Andrew's study does not back up this theory, but it does say something pretty major about the role of corporate profits. Will you read for me, uh, it's on the second page, I believe, the sentence that starts, we find evidence. We find evidence on the second page. Andrew whispers to himself a lot. One second. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. We find evidence that markup growth was a major contributor to inflation in 2021. And keep going. Specifically, markups grew by... Specifically, the report said, corporate profit growth could account for more than half of 2021 inflation. could account for more than half of 2021 inflation. Corporate profit growth accounted for nearly 60% of inflation, to be more precise. Normally, Andrew says, it contributes less than a third. So this is about double. And this is kind of like, I don't know, this is a big, this is a big finding, right? Yes, I, I mean, I think... Um, I think one of the things that we've discovered is that it may not have been as atypical uh, as in just an any given normal year. No shit. You forced other companies competing for the dollars out of the market. It was not typical. You gave these profits to these companies. 
this is already a two-parter. If we start going down the whole like lockdown supply chain piece, like it's this, it's still a good point to be made. It's a good yeah, it's a good point to be made. But we should sort of make it lock it in. And it's locked the fuck in. They did this. Down. They did that. And we said, hey, all these corporations are loving this. And then you were like, and then they were like, no, they're just being good guys. And now they're going to blame the inflation on the corporation. Fuck, man. That's the profit that they are promised. That's you get paid to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. That's how this works. Yeah, it, it sounds bad, but Andrew says this isn't actually that unusual. Andrew found that historically, corporate profit growth has always been a driver of inflation in the year following a recession, which, remember, we did have in 2020. Yes, yeah, so we see it in 2009. We see it in 2002, um, 1976. We see it in uh, many years following a recession. Andrew thinks it's probably just that no one really looked at the profit side of things before because in the past, inflation has been low. So no one really cared how much corporate profits contributed to almost no inflation. So, okay, Andrew is saying prices did not go up because costs went up. He's saying corporations pocketed more. They, they raked in more profits. And you might think, well, it's probably just that there was more demand for things, right? Like when there is more demand, corporations can get more out of us. They can charge more because we really want that canoe right now. But Andrew found that across industries that experienced very different levels of demand, profits went up. So even in areas that had lower demand, profits went up. Okay, so... Because there's more dollars. This is, I think... There, there's, they seem to be, they seem to have no idea how much of a smoking gun that is. <laughs> yeah. Or they, well, does she not really realize that the, the people in the show? Well, I think they're maybe a little more sinister than you do. I don't think they pick up on everything. Yeah, the guy the the guy at the Fed is absolutely paid to come up with this scenario. And that's why he's being so careful in the way that he's saying it and leading her into saying all the stuff that he's not willing to say. But I think this tears apart everything they've said up until now. Yeah. Right? Okay. Because everything that they've said before about, you know, is this a sudden increase in greed is this a sudden increase in profits costs labor etc is it where where is it coming from the idea that it's coming from everywhere across industries across geos across sizes across mm-hmm. markets it's pretty clear it affects anything that touches dollars. So everybody that touches dollars got together and said, all of us, I don't even gonna, remember doing it, but we did, I guess <laughs> we're all getting more greedy. So let's see what, uh, not so fancy has to say for himself. When we looked at the markup growth, 
they were very similar. Firms in sectors that have very different demand are still marking up their prices at similar rates. Andrew does not think this is proof companies were just using inflation as an excuse to, like, gouge consumers or something. He thinks companies likely raised their prices, not because their costs went up in 2021, because they did not really, but because they were anticipating that their costs would go up a lot in 2022. He suspects companies were all getting similar signals, like from their suppliers or something, that like some future order would cost more. And we should say their costs did end up going up a year later in 2022. But companies still made record profits that year, despite those higher costs. So, okay, corporations anticipated higher costs, so they raised their prices and they raised them so much that they made way more profit than what their costs actually were to the point that they were making record profits, a lot of corporations. Um, So they over-anticipated how much costs would go up. No, they early anticipated. That's what this does. That's what inflation does. That's what printing the money supply does. It's It's a tax on all of us that they don't have to pass in any legislature or through anything like that. All they have to do is print the fucking money and all their buddies, the big corporations who are involved in it, they can get the first of the dollars, the lowest interest rates. They know the inflation's coming. They can charge for the, in the future to get, the early dollars from us before the inflation hits. That way, the dollars they get are worth more. That's the whole point, is they get the dollars that are worth more early on. And we don't see any pay increase in our in our pockets until later. We're, it, we're a... We get, we get a pay increase, you know, if we are worth x amount we don't see it until later because that's the value that they sucked out of society to them so all of my my so if if the dollar value decreased by seven percent and i haven't gotten a raise in a year that means they stole seven percent of my income the rich person who got the printed dollar got seven percent of my income. That's a state in that's a state sales tax. Right there. Well again, I have to give a pass to anyone who's that has an economics podcast. No. Well, just because it's an economics podcast doesn't a hundred percent mean You saw this coming. Well, they don't necessarily understand. Like, I, I think you might even be overcomplicating it. Okay. I think it's it's simpler than that. Okay. Businesses, corporations, especially the larger ones, uh-huh. are not operating at a this year level. They're not okay. operating at a next year level. Mm-hmm. They're operating at a five year level. We just talked about a thirty year. Setback because of 
the COVID lockdown. So there are companies that are projecting 30 years in advance. So you're right. So with certain things, with certain capital buys and stuff like that, there are capitals that you don't purchase because they are going to take 20 years to show you profit. So so com- there are companies that have to project 30 years in advance to know what kind of capital to buy. Um, but you're right. I mean, a company is looking ahead. So on on one year profit margins, they're probably, you know, they're, they're probably told policy is to, to, to bet on the third year. So like I, I need to make money this year. So I'm going to bet on the, the dollar value that I think is going to be around two years from now to make sure that I make profit just in case inflation is higher than uh, what I expected. Because all these companies hold debt. They have to make sure that they are creating a certain amount of profit. It's not like, it's not like, oh, if I spent $1, but I made $2 two years from now, you, you didn't make money. If you look at inflation, you didn't make, you lost money. The, what you can buy with that $2 is less than what you could have bought with that $1 back then. So you are down money. Corporations know that. The layman doesn't. And that's what a podcast like this does not explain to the person is is money isn't a dollar is worth more than two dollars worth more than one dollar. No, it's it's not. It depends on when you spent that dollar as to whether the one dollar is worth more than the two dollar. And the the higher inflation is the shorter that distance, that time period is between those two points. And there are countries that it gets to, I need to spend my paycheck today because tomorrow I'm losing half of my purchasing power. So they go out and they spend their entire checks as soon as they get it. Because if they don't, they can only get half as much the next day. That is not a healthy society. I've also zeroed in a bit on this phrase, record profits. Because I I do find that interesting. Because if we look across industries, across corporations, and say in the total market, all corporations and corporate profits, they're making a trillion dollars in profits this year. Mm Mm-hmm. If inflation is 10% year over year and every corporation maintains the status quo, does absolutely nothing different, keeps everything as is, we would expect them to make $1.1 trillion next year. Just to keep, yeah, just to maintain equilibrium yeah which would feel 
like record profits. <laughs> which yeah, it looks like record profits because we've never crossed above a trillion. Right. And now we're 1.1, right? Saying record profits is like saying record wages, which we are seeing. Right. And, and what we what we've done is printed a lot of dollars and then forced a lot of companies that are competing for those dollars out of the market. So now there's just a lot of dollars out there and a lot less companies competing for those dollars. If there was only $10 that existed in the world, we could be in the exact same place. Yeah, we'd be using micro pennies. Right, but it would be the same thing. But they're they're projecting this inflation problem on the profits of corporations. No. Yes, corporations are benefiting and they're benefiting because of the government that's putting them in the situation to benefit. And then the while the regular person is getting hurt, they blame it on the dollars being eaten up instead of what they should be blaming it on was that printing machine. Because it's funny how if I go and print a bunch of $20 bills in my basement that pass, all of a sudden the government understands what counterfeiting money does to regular people. They go, oh, that's not a victimless crime. This hurts everybody. It creates inflation because you buy up all the goods and you know that are left on the shelf and it leaves less for everybody else. And they worked hard for those dollars. And now they, they have to pay more, right? So you are a bad person for counterfeiting dollars. But yet, the Fed does it all the time. And they call it lowering interest rates. And we go, oh, lower interest rates. That's going to really fuck my kids. No, that's not what we do. We don't, we don't look into the future because we don't understand. You know, I don't think everybody should understand. The problem is there's a power called the Fed that does this to everybody. Therefore, the people who don't understand believe that they're there to do us good. That's what, that's what the Fed was created to do. That's why they met, was to figure out a way that it made... People don't understand what's going on. Believe that they're there to help us. It was done on Jekyll Island in Georgia. More whispering. Like, isn't that why their profit is so much more than their cost? Because they, they like overshot it. Uh, let me see it. Um. <laughs> Andrew is very careful about how he says things. What is fair to say is that um, what is fair to say is that it is possible that firms, by anticipating higher costs, contributed to the inflationary pressures that actually led to higher costs. Yeah, 
corporations anticipating higher inflation could be the reason why we got higher inflation. And for Andrew, this is a really interesting finding because for decades, economists have looked at wage growth as the big main indicator of whether more inflation was coming. Andrew is saying maybe we should now look at rising profits as an indicator, too. Well, I would I would like to counter that by saying, okay, well, if there's because the amount of dollars in the economy is so big, it's hard to calculate that kind of stuff. Let's just say there's $100 in the economy right now. And we do not increase that $100 in the economy. Can this scenario exist? If there's only $100 in the economy and only $100 in the economy the next year, can it can it exist where... The only reason why is because of corporate profit increases. We can, but something else has to happen, right? Somebody has to knock competitors out of the market, people competing for those dollars. I wonder who could do that. Good question. This might become a useful new metric to look at when we think about, well, How persistent could these inflationary pressures be? Okay, so let's just pause for a second on this idea that costs don't even need to go up for corporations. Just worrying that their costs could go up in the future could drive inflation. Andrew says this is why setting expectations around inflation is so important. If we were to get in a situation where not only in 2021 did firms expect higher inflation, But in 2022, they expected it. 2023, they expected it. And they just kept expecting higher and higher inflation. Then we very well could end up in a world where profits are always rising in anticipation and are always a major contributing force to inflation. And so, you know, one of the one of the the goals that we have are to keep inflation expectations anchored uh, around our target of two percent, and certainly. One of the outcomes of that would be that we don't see um, a profit price spiral. Yeah, so that's a bunch of bullshit because you can't have, if if a company were to just anticipate their cost is going to go up every single year and there wasn't more dollars in there, there wouldn't be enough dollars to give them more every year. Therefore, their prices going up would end up working them out of the free market and they would lose. It's what she was touching on before, which is that in a truly free market, if they just kept increasing prices, people would stop buying. Right. But they, they tend to forget that when they're trying to explain it all the way through. They, they forget certain parts at certain times, it seems like. Um, maybe she isn't as malicious as I think she is. And maybe it's a, it's just an innocent stupidity that like the, that you think it is either way or either way, depending on how you want to say the word, this is a dangerous way to look at things. And not to mention the fact that this woman is a doctor and teaching people. It's, it's 
quite unintelligent. It's wait, it's who? stupid. It's stupid. The the lady, the lady, the in the beginning, the the teacher, oh. the professor. Okay, yes. I thought you were talking about the the journalists. Oh no, 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 no! I was lost there for a second. No, I was talking about the journalist at first. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe, but then we get to the the professor. This is that's dangerous. That is, well, the 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 journalist may just be stupid and not as malicious as I think they may be, and and they could just be um. They could just be reacting to incentives, like you say. But the professor is there. There's she. She's either absolutely stupid, and I hope that, or evil. Maybe she doesn't understand how evil, but she's evil. Right. She may be carrying out an evil act, but not knowing how evil it is. I I do think there's a lot of bias in some of these things because even if you would like to believe you're not influenced by who funds your studies or whatever, and you're going to say that you're impartial, humans just aren't. Mm -hmm. But going back to uh, Andrew from the Fed there, I, I I I have a as a person who has a bit of a precision fetish, I can appreciate how careful and thoughtful he is, but it also means that I'm not going to dismiss what he's saying and I am going to take it as is, which I think is important because he's making some interesting distinctions. You'll notice that he says that these corporations are anticipating inflation. If they create inflation, how in the world are they anticipating inflation? That means it must be coming from somewhere else. He also does a bit of hand-waving talking about inflationary pressures, mm -hmm. which is almost admitting that we're talking about the effects of inflation instead of inflation, mm -hmm. but not quite. So again, I don't think they realize just how much of a smoking gun this is. He is giving you the answers right now. If a corporation is anticipating inflation, that means they're not making it. Mm -hmm. They're not creating it. Right. Absolutely. You're correct. But to say it in a way that would mislead a layman is definitely done intentionally. I yeah. I, I think it well yeah I say definitely, but it, I would have to say there, there's a reason why, like you said, he, he's choosing his words words carefully to to make sure it does confuse a layman into thinking that he knows what the fuck he's talking about and or has their best interest in heart. Because that's the whole point of the Fed is to pretend like they have the regular person's best interest at heart. But think about this. If 
the Fed had your best interest in heart, would they have a target of a 2% interest rate? Uh, inflation rate, sorry. Good question. I would have to say no. Because if you worked keep... if you worked for your dollar and you held on to it, why would they want to take your purchasing power away from you for holding on to it? To keep the money in the economy, man. To keep that spending alive. And what's the economy to them? It's called a stimulus, my man. Them. Them. The the, the stock market, the stockbroker. That's where all that money goes to. All that wealth. It comes right out of the poor person's pocket trying to hold on to one dollar and right into the richest motherfuckers who don't produce jack shit. The people who donate to their fucking campaigns. Shit like that, man. I'm not an anti-corporatist, dude. I like corporations that play in free markets because they have to play a fair game. It's corporations that don't want to play in the free market because then they would have to play a free game. A fair game. A profit price spiral. (laughs) So, not a wage price spiral, but a profit price spiral. Or a price price spiral. A price price spiral is when corporations raise prices by more than the increase in their costs. And here's how Andrew says things could spiral out of control. Let's say a corporation, like a tire maker, expects costs to go up. So they raise prices in order to keep the same profits that they used to have, right? But then the next corporation, like a car maker, is like, okay, well, I have to buy tires, so I'm going to raise my prices too so that my profits don't drop. And it all spirals like that. The price-price spiral is a new phrase. I mean, this is the hottest thing in town, people. The (laughs) price-price spiral. It was coined in January by an economist named Lael Brainerd. And let me tell you, this thing is catching on, people. Paul Krugman, a pretty mainstream economist, just said that if anything, we have seen something like a price-price spiral. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. So if you haven't listened to us before, if somebody mentions Crudman in some sort of serious fashion. You've got to take three drinks. <laughs> well, you can basically guarantee that this is right on board with whatever the government is telling them to say. Krugman, while he is famous... He's also a empty shill for the Fed and will say and do anything and then try to gaslight you into thinking that he didn't say things before and did say things later and he makes no fucking sense. He's an idiot. He's it, actually, I take He's that not back. He's an idiot. He's he is a, not an idiot. Let's a, not let's not a, dismiss him as an idiot. Right. He's just not an economist. Right. He's either a really bad economist or he's a shill. Right. 
And I think he's a very smart shill. And I don't think he's an economist. Yeah, he's kind of the free space on your pseudoscience economics bingo card. Anyway, so they just appealed to a very interesting authority there. Let's press on. Sorry, we had to get a chuckle out of that. Had to. Yeah. And outside of the U.S., more and more attention is on the price side of things. The head of the U.K. central bank, who a year ago was asking workers not to ask for big wage increases, recently started asking companies not to raise prices. Now we're seeing central banks in Europe and the U.K., sort of shifting and saying, no, 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 corporations, corporations, please lower your prices. We really expect inflation to drop sharply this year. Just please, please, please don't raise your prices more because that's contributing to inflation. So it feels like the focus has shifted on the wage earners uh, to the corporations. Right. And in some ways, you know, I think asking nicely, in the same way that asking workers not to request higher wages is... uh, I don't know that many people would listen if I told if I told you don't ask for a higher wage. Um, I don't know that just asking is really um, is going to be very effective. He's he's advocating by saying that for for forced by gunpoint price controls, including wage control and whatever, because price control in turn has to have a wage control. And also, it what does price control and wage control do? It means innovation is halted in whatever market says they're in. Therefore, there will be no advancements in your purchasing power if the dollar stayed the same. And there will be a reduction in your purchasing power if the dollar advance if, if there's more dollars printed. And we all know that more dollars are going to be printed. And if you start doing price controls, there's going to be less advancement. Therefore, that won't counteract the amount of dollars that are spent. And there will be even higher consumer costs. So, right. Central bankers in Europe also apparently don't think that just asking nicely will work either, which is why they're also raising interest rates like we are in the United States. And the way raising interest rates works is it basically makes people have less money to buy things with because it's harder to borrow money. And if people have less money to buy things with, that will hopefully make corporations finally bring down their prices again so that we can buy again. But economists like Isabella are like, why is raising interest rates like the only tool the United States considers? Which is basically a recipe of making the majority of people even poorer. Isabella's like, why do the workers have to be the ones to get screwed? They weren't even the problem this time. She argues for fighting inflation without inflicting all this collateral damage on the economy. She proposes a windfall profit tax, basically taxing corporations if they all of a sudden get a windfall of profits. Of course, uh, a lot of disagreement among economists about this. But however economists feel about the best way to fight inflation, many are now open to the idea that corporate profits are an important part of the equation. Isabella recently released a paper calling this era of inflation a seller's inflation, and she's been surprised with the reaction she's gotten this time around. Some prominent economists have, I would say, shifted from 
seeing this as some sort of voodoo economics to seeing it as a possibly plausible explanation. A possibly plausible explanation? So they're not quite like, oh, yes, this is it. They're just like, maybe, maybe. I'm not 100% out on it. That's the feeling that I have, that we are kind of at this tipping point. I mean, we have much more evidence in hand. Um, do you feel a little bit vindicated? I do feel vindicated, yes. <laughs> Both Isabella and Andrew say it will be interesting to see what corporations do this year. On earnings calls, some CEOs have been saying they plan to keep prices high, even though they don't anticipate costs going up anymore. Basically, because we've shown that we're willing to pay these higher prices. And we should say that keeping prices high would not cause inflation to go up. They would have to raise prices more to increase inflation. If we want corporations to cut prices, I don't know, maybe we just buy less? Stop accepting the higher prices? If we stop buying things, that could get corporations to lower prices. Today's show was produced by Sam Yellowhorse Kessler and engineered by Catherine Silva with help from Josh Newell. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez and edited by Jess Jang. Special thanks to economist Hal Singer. I'm Sierra Gonzalez. And I'm Greg Rosalski. This is NPR. Thanks for listening. That was pathetic. Because, I mean, I'm not an economist. None, none, none of that I couldn't dispute off the top of my head. That is just pure cucking for the state. You know, well, I'm cool with people doing whatever they want to do, but I'm not licking... That shit, Adam. Mm-mm. Nobody's crack. I don't know if anyone else listening to this feels the same way, but it felt condescending without having any understanding of the subject matter. Yes. It did. It felt like they were talking down to people and then they had no idea what the fuck they were talking about and or were just evil as shit. And that may be why so much of this gets perpetuated because you have this model of journalist who's not an expert in the field but is sort of taking the listener along the journey with them and learning from quote unquote experts in the field. The experts give inherently flawed information and that benefits them and who they work for, which a journalist should know better. Do they teach journalism in journalist school anymore? Probably not. So then these journalists essentially take that information, rephrase it, curate it, and edit it a bit. Mm -hmm. 
to explain it to a layperson. But funny how all the unbiased media still leans to the state. Well, I just think it's a lot of hard work on top of a false foundation. Yeah. Because if you think about all of the people involved in not even corporate or state media, but let's just say like this podcast, even. Mm -hmm. There are probably 30 people that touch this podcast in some way. And Mm -hmm. whether you're an editor, whether you're a producer, whether you're a designer, whether you're just the tech guy uploading the file. Riri Randy. (laughs) Whoever you are along this chain, you're probably doing earnest, good work on a piece of content. And a lot of hard work goes into that and makes it feel like it should be trusted. Okay. All right. I see where you're going here. Yeah. But all of that work is for naught if the very foundations are flawed. If the information and the experts are wrong, then everything that happens after that is moot. It is at best doing nothing at worst, causing great harm. So if you have an economics podcast and you aren't an evil person, please, for God's sakes, learn some fucking economics. It's a trap, and there's no comfort.